0: tonight we need your word and Lord we need to understand the armor of God because certainly Lord we're in a warfare and Lord we need illumination we need to know how to put on this armor we need to know how to apply it we need to know how to walk in it we need to know how to defeat the enemy that comes against us so Lord I pray for divine illumination tonight that the Holy Spirit the great teacher of the church would give us ears to hear and eyes to see And we would grasp these things that tomorrow morning when we start a new day, we can apply what we learn tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church? Say, Lord, speak to me tonight so that I can conquer and not be conquered, so that I can be victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. Amen. Now, we're in in, uh, the 15th week. We have one to go, just one, and then we're finished. But I could not do the whole chapter 6 in one night. I couldn't have done it justice. So I'm having it. Besides, the things that Paul says in the end of chapter 6 are so rich, are so powerful, and so good, that I, I just wanted to take the last evening on Paul's final thoughts. Of course, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's not the thoughts of a man. Um, but great, great stuff there at the end. So, But tonight, we're going to talk about the armor. And uh, let me uh, just begin by saying the last time we finished by talking about submission in marriage, in parent-child relationships, and in the workplace, and how important it is to know how to respond to authority. Folks, I want you to understand with me tonight. Of course, this is not news to most of you. But we're in an extremely rebellious culture. I mean, it seethes against God-given authority. And you think that doesn't leak into the church? Of course it does. It infiltrates the church. And the only way to avoid that cultural infiltration is to stay in the Word of God. So it's very important we know how to respond to God's delegated authorities uh, because we encounter it all day long, all week long. And it can make the difference between life and death, success and failure, Joy and sorrow, okay? So, after talking about submission, Paul turns and, uh, his focus to spiritual warfare. I mean, he really changes gears here. And look at what he says in six, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, we all know this. Let's read it together. Finally, y'all, you guys are being mic tonight like you haven't in a while, so let's hear you. You are mic'd. You're going on radio. Okay? So let's try it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know what that word schemes is? He thinks ahead on how to take you down. He is not just pulling out a shotgun and shooting and hoping it hits something. It's a tactic. It's a scheme. He he strategizes on how to take you as an individual down. Okay? So we're dealing with a real enemy here. Now, so often we we are overcome with a feeling of powerlessness in the presence of spiritual warfare. Much of the powerlessness that we feel, not all of it, but some of it, comes from not using what God has promised. Not using what God has promised. How often do we buy some utility? Utility. And fiddle with it. And we say, well, I don't need those directions. Uh, You know, a new TV. Lord, these TVs these days, it takes me a week to figure out what what they do and what they don't do. I mean, you're you're buying a computer when you get one these days. But have you ever just said, well, I don't need the directions. I'm smart. I can figure this out. And then a year down the road, you find something that if you'd read the directions, you would have been enjoying something that you didn't have for a whole year because you didn't read it. Well, the Bible's the same way. We don't use what God has provided because we don't know about it. Now, the command in verse 10 that says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, our problem is we try to be strong in ourselves. I do. I do. And I really used to do that a lot because I was very self-sufficient and self-confident. Our problem is we try to be strong in ourselves, and we haven't learned the secret of drawing our strength from God, which I do now daily. I mean, I get in the presence of God. I say, Lord, if you don't help me do it today, I can't do it without you. Well, Pastor, isn't that a crutch? Oh, yeah, and I I gladly admit it. What's yours? Because everybody leans on something. I lean on Jesus. Okay. So we've got to learn to draw strength from it. He says, be strong not in ourselves but in the power of God, in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, Paul likens our spiritual protection to the armor of a soldier, perhaps using one of his prison guards as a model as he penned these lines because he was surrounded by Roman guards, and they all had this armor on, okay? So he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? schemes, well thought out stratagems, so you can take your stand. Now look at what he tells us, catch this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, people, bosses, spouses, children, neighbors, drivers in rush hour, now now Paul is taking us beyond the veil here, I want you to follow me, catch this, Go right right with me now. Paul is letting us know, you thought you were fighting people. You've been all this time thought you were fighting people. But folks, do you catch what he's saying now, that when I'm in a particular kind of a battle, if I'm being resisted because of Christ in my life, if I'm being attacked in a vicious way, or if I'm being undermined, or if I'm being, um, I, I know that, that something is coming against me and it happens to be somebody with skin on them. Paul is literally telling us there's something behind them. There's something behind them. Do, 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 do. Don't you think that way? But it's true. He says, let me take you beyond the veil. Let me lift the curtain. And let me show you what's really going on sometimes. You're not battling people, though it's people that are being used. But you're battling principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He said, that's your battle. That's what's doing it. That's what's coming against you. That's what you're fighting. And you can't see it with your natural eye. But you can sure feel it like a wind blowing. You can't see that wind. But you can sure feel its impact. And you can see it move things around you. And you can see it stir things up, and you can see it destroy, but you never see wind. He said it's the same way. We're, we're fighting spiritual beings. Now, most of us in Western cultures grew up with a scientific materialist mindset. We got it from the Enlightenment. In the Enlightenment period, they rejected they, the European Enlightenment. They rejected the whole notion of anything being real that you couldn't see, or taste, or touch, or smell, or sense with your five senses. If you couldn't, if it wasn't, uh, uh, if you couldn't access it by one of the five senses, then it was not real. It was mythological and it was superstitious, but it was not real because there was no spirit world. And the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment bequeathed to us in the Western culture, this attitude. That if I, can't, if I can't find it in a test tube, it's not real. But that's not true. That's not true, according to the Bible. Because you will never get a demon in a test tube. You'll never get the devil in a laboratory. But think a moment, right now, this sanctuary is being penetrated by all kinds of waves and signals right now. TV, radio, microwave. But you can't hear or see them unless you use a receiver designed to pull them in. I could get a radio in here, it's designed to pull in that signal. But that doesn't mean the signal's not there if I can't hear it without the radio. Amen. Amen. There's all kinds of things we can't see that are real. Okay? So, you, you know, you put something in that microwave. Put popcorn in there, just popcorn seeds and close the door and hit start and all of a sudden it starts but you can't see what's making it happen in the same way there are demon spirits, angelic spirits, good spirits, bad spirits, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is here right now. you can't see him, but have you not felt him tonight? Amen in here we fellowship with him now uh, just, so just because you can't see it, we have no problem with that, with other things in life. Spiritual beings and realities are exactly the same way. While we cannot see spiritual beings, we can sense them so long as we have our antenna up. And you know what happens when you get saved? God gives saved people, they receive the Holy Spirit, and you know what the Holy Spirit is? He's an antenna. And sometimes you get discernment on something that the natural man who's not saved does not get. Millions of people will tell you, I read this recently, millions of people will tell you they believe in God or they believe in Jesus, but they think the whole idea of Satan is a myth or a fable, that it's from the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages is before the Enlightenment. And before the Enlightenment, we were just immersed in stupid, superstitious religion. And thank God for the Enlightenment that delivered us from such foolishness. But in fact, yes, there were many things in the Dark Ages that were superstitious and not real. But they believed in demon spirits and in angels. Look at the artwork from the Renaissance, from the Enlightenment, from the Reformation period. They all show angels, beings, uh, uh, supernatural heavenly creatures because they believed in them. Now what do you get? Somebody gets a squirt gun with paint in it and there's a work of art. That shows you where our culture is, confused and artless. Now, if, 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 G, if, if the devil's not real, then why was Jesus talking about him all the time? Of course the devil's real. Jesus had a lot to say about both. Um, during, uh, denying the existence of what the Bible clearly identifies as real. It's just like a blind man denying the ex- existence of streetlights just because he can't personally see them. So the spirit world is real. It's here right now. It's the fourth dimension. It's here. If we could see right now, I wish we could. I believe we would see angels here. Remember uh, uh, Elisha with his servant. His servant was saying, "Oh Lord, oh Master, we're done. The army has surrounded us." He said, "Lord, open this poor boy's eyes." And all of a sudden, his eyes were open, and he saw chariots of fire surrounding them on all the mountains. And then the prophet said to him, there are more with us than are with our enemies. And so he was able to see beyond the veil. So we need to see beyond the veil tonight, all right? Now, Jesus directly addressed the devil and demons in scripture. He talked to them and he talked about them and he told them what to do and he told them where to go. The word devil is from the Greek word diabolos, which means accuser, or one who engages in slander. So guess what? If you're engaging in slander, you're devil-like. If you're accusing somebody falsely, that's devil-like. You know, the devil goes into the presence of God and says, and God says, if you consider my servant Job, And what the devil do? He starts slamming Job, accusing Job of being fake and phony, and weak, and uh, if you just take certain things away from him, he'll cave in and deny you in a minute. He, he accused him. Amen. And so often the accuser of the brethren is accusing us in between our own two ears, and we think it's our own thoughts. Amen. But he's trying to shoot us down with accusation. So that's the devil. And then beneath the devil, Paul describes in verse 12 a hierarchy of wickedness operating in the world. a, 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 a An organized, hierarchical, demonic government. And here's what they were. He began with principalities from the Greek word archae, from which we get words like archbishop, arch. It means authority. It means official or like an official, uh, we might call the Pope an official or um, like we said an archbishop, but an official, an authority person, an authority figure, an authoritative being holding an authoritative place. Now, Uh, It can be good or it can be bad. In Ephesians 6, it's talking about evil spirit rulers. uh, And it could be referring to a particular demon spirit gaining dominance over a town or a city. Which we see evidence of in the Bible, in the book of Daniel. I don't have time to go into all of that, but Daniel said that the, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia it was a demon spirit over the whole land of Persia, a ruler, a ruler. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I've traveled the world in many different places and, and it's amazing. You can get on a jet and leave America and there's a certain feel to it, but you can start approaching a different nation. And as you begin to land, you feel something that is on that place. It happened to me when I went to India. Now I love India. I'm not slamming India, but India is so filled with Hinduism and polytheism and all these different gods that have so many people enslaved and in bondage. And when you land, you could almost say, wow, there is a ruler spirit over this nation that needs to be prayed against. So, a ruler. Then he mentions powers, translated from the Greek, exousia. Exousia, meaning the right to control or the right to command, having absolute authority. So if you take these two words together, ArK and exousia, literally principalities and powers, they're used together in the New Testament. Um, when they are used together, it always refers to spiritual evil powers, always. You never see principalities and powers in a positive light. So he says, our battle is not with people, it's with first principalities and powers, that are evil. And then Paul adds a third type of demonic influence by the phrase rulers of the darkness of this age, this ion, this age. Paul is describing here the ruling demonic hordes of this sinful world. You remember in the Bible, Jesus called the devil the prince of this world. The prince of this world cometh and he has nothing on me. He can't accuse me because I haven't done anything. The prince of this world is coming. He doesn't have anything on me. So he's called the prince of this world. Um, John told us that the whole world lies under the sway and influence of the wicked one. The whole world. And that, for me, explains a lot. Because we see all this evil around us. Well, that's because the whole world is under the sway and the influence of the wicked one. But the Lord has come and given you and me an understanding, John said. See? He lifted the veil for us. We're not in the dark. So the demonic hordes of this sinful world, that's the rulers of the darkness of this ion, this age. And then fourthly, we have spiritual wickedness in, in heavenly places. The Greek word is pneumaticos, pneumaticos, And it means pertaining to evil spirits. So notice that these evil forces are operating in heavenly realms. They're, they're in heavenly realms. That's where the warfare happens, in the second heaven. The Bible says there's three heavens. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. Second heaven is where spiritual warfare is waged. The third heaven is where God dwells and his will is perfectly done. Paul said, I was taken up into the third heaven, and I saw things I can't speak about that I can never again say on earth. I can't tell anybody what I saw. It's too holy, too sacred, too all of that for me to talk about it. But the second heaven is where there is demonic warfare. It's where Michael and Gabriel and the other angels battle the forces of the devil. And it's where when you intercede and are praying for something, and it seems like there is a hold on what you're praying for, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, it's because in that second heaven, your answer is being hindered by demonic attack. And that's why you got to pray through. Luke 18:1 1, man ought always to pray and not faint, because you don't know... It it may not be that it's not God's will. It may not be that you're missing it. It may be that you're right on target, but it's being resisted in the second heaven. And you've got to keep on praying. Okay? Because we're in a warfare, folks. This is not Star Trek. This is not Star Wars. This is not Hollywood. This is not Brothers Grimm. This is real. Now, Paul revealed this satanic hierarchy... To bring home what he's already said to us. That our battle is not with flesh and blood. He just told us what our battle is with. So if we fight people, we lose. Let me take it further. If we try to fight with intellectual or psychological weaponry, we will lose. Because we're not fighting psychological or fleshly things. But if we will arm ourselves with God's weapons and fight the way he instructs us, we can succeed. Now... Let's talk about the armor, and I've got somebody here with armor on. So let me just get Val come on down. He's got the real stuff on. And um, my, my. So you're going to have a living illustration here. So amen. Come on, Val. I can tell you can't run in armor, can you? All right. Okay, now, he's just going to kind of stand here, and the camera will hit him from time to time, and when I'm pointing to something. But he told me this is the real deal. This is the real armor. And so we're going to be, he's going to be taking us through this. I don't know how they fought in that stuff, but they did. So let's look at verse 13. Therefore, let's read it together. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, you know you've won the battle, folks, when after it's all said and done, you're still standing there. You're not down in the ground. You're not bloodied on the mat. You're not out of the race, but you're still standing. So let's look at the armor of God Paul lays out for us. First of all, verse 14, stand firm. Where are you going? You getting up there? Okay. I'm sorry, we didn't rehearse this. He's coming up behind me with that stuff. All right. Stand firm, then. Let's read it together. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So there's the belt belt of truth. Now, that holds all the armor on, I'm told. The truth holds it on. Now, think of the wide belt that the weightlifter wears, or this belt here, to protect and strengthen him. That's the power of God's truth in our lives. Folks, you can't get by without God's truth. And I know I'm a broken record up here all the time. But, you know, if I go to heaven someday, or I will go to heaven someday, when I go to heaven someday, that wasn't very good. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm very confident in my salvation, folks. When I go to heaven someday, you know what I want to hear? I want to hear, Jeff, because you pastored them, they were in the Word. Now, if I can just get that. If they were in the Word on a daily basis then I'm going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay? So I'm a broken record here, but you can't live without the word. Jesus said, man, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, give us this day our daily bread. So we have to be in the word. This is the power of God's truth in our lives. Look at what Jesus said. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples and you will know the truth. Let's read it together. And the truth will set you free. Now, do you think that just, is just talking about meeting Jesus the first day you get saved? No. It, it's, it's a present active indicative. Let me tell you what that means. You will ongoingly, continuously, daily, all the rest of your life, come to know the truth better and better. And as you continually come to know it, that continual progression of knowledge of the truth of God will set you free. When we don't know any better, if we don't get in the Bible on a daily basis and don't really come to know it, the father of lies, the great deceiver, easily hoodwinks people who know Jesus and he gets the better of us. But when we hold firmly the truth that we know and seek diligently to acquire wisdom each and every day, we are protected. Now, I put this belt on, this belt of truth. I put it on every day, every morning by going to the Word before anything else. I put it on. I put it on. What about you? Were you in the Word this morning? Were you in the Word today? Hope you didn't say, well, I'm going to hear Pastor Jeff tonight, so I don't need to do it. (laughs) No, you need to go there yourself. And let the Holy Ghost teach you yourself. I ought to be just cherry, the cherry on top of the Sunday, the, the, the gravy on top of the meat you've already had. Amen. All right? So, the word of God, the truth, the belt of truth. And then the next piece of armor, he says, the breastplate of righteousness must be in place. Look at that. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, the steel, leather, or coat of mail breastplate of the Roman soldier, protected the torso in the thick of battle. Our protection, catch this now, it's a twofold kind of righteousness. It's called the breastplate of what? Righteousness. righteousness. So, so think the breastplate, but then think of what? Of righteousness. Righteousness. So he's saying we must have righteousness covering our heart area. We must have righteousness covering us here lest we be hit with an arrow and we die struck in the heart. So first, the first kind of righteousness is we've been made righteous by Christ's death on our behalf. And that's called imputed, imputed righteousness. That means that God puts it on you. God gives it to you. It is imputed. He took Jesus' righteousness and imputed it, placed it onto, reckoned it to us. So the minute we said, Jesus, come into my heart, he said, righteous, righteous, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how many mistakes you made, how many sins you committed, the minute you came to Jesus, it was spoken over you by all of heaven, righteous, imputed righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So we are holy, we are set apart, we are saints, we belong to God now, and his righteousness is our righteousness, and his blood covers our sins. You know, we talk all the time about being convicted of sin, have you ever been convicted of your righteousness? Have have you ever just awakened and said, oh God, thank you, I'm no longer under condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no, none, zip, zero, nada, condemnation. Because I've been declared righteous. His righteousness is our righteousness, and his blood covers our sins. Can we just lift a hand up and say, Thank you, Jesus, for that righteousness? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your righteousness, Lord. Thank you for taking away the stain of sin and the torture of condemnation and the stalker of guilt. And we stand before you tonight righteous in the blood of Christ. Amen. We can often be fooled when Satan reminds us of our sins and weaknesses and tells us, you did it now, dude. God will never forgive you after this. You went too far. You stepped over the line. Our protection is our understanding of the righteousness in which we stand in Christ. That's our protection. So it's a breastplate. It protects our heart from being condemned. But this righteousness must not only be imputed righteousness from Christ, but also what I learned in seminary imparted. There's imputed and there's imparted. Imputed is what's given to you, imparted is what you yourself walk in. Okay? We're also protected by living holy lives, by obedience. By keeping a clear conscience. I can't tell you the importance of a clear conscience. I, I just, it's hard to express the importance of a clear conscience. Because if you're walking around guilty all the time and you're in some kind of sin and you don't confess it and you live in it and you compromise with it, let me tell you what you will not be doing. You won't be witnessing. You won't have joy. You, you will not be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what you're going to be experiencing? Condemnation, guilt... Uh, and eventually you get out of church. You just say, who am I to go to church? Because you see, you, you've given up that breastplate. You've given up that. So, so condemnation comes in. I want you to look at what Paul testified. He said, I always try. Let's read this together. I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. This way and this way, I want to be as clear as I can be. So I teach you all the time. Keep short accounts with God. If you mess up, repent quickly. I should say when you mess up. Because everybody does. And you're going to again. I'm not say, speaking lack of faith there. I'm just telling you the truth. I know life. You're going to mess up again. So what are you going to do? Immediately. Keep short accounts. Never give a sin any longer than a 24-hour shelf life. Okay? Okay? He always tried, Paul said, with people and with God. I keep very short accounts. He also exhorted Timothy, look at this, to hold on to faith and a good conscience. And look what happened to people that gave up their good conscience. He says, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. See, if you don't keep your conscience clear, then then trouble lies ahead. So we have imputed righteousness, but we also have imparted righteousness by living a clean life. Not a perfect life. We can't do that. But as clean a life as we know, and if the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, take care of it. If it's towards somebody or towards Him, take care of it. Very important. When we do this, that is, we don't keep a clear conscience, or we do keep a clear conscience, rather... We deprive the devil of a foothold. Ephesians 4.27 says we're not ignorant of his devices. We don't give property. We don't give land. We don't give any acreage to the devil in our lives. Clean living is a powerful protection from the destruction that sin brings with it. Everybody get that? Well, that was underwhelming. Everybody get that? Do you want something that looks like this in your life? So when the fiery arrows come at your heart, they deflect off because your conscience is clear, imputed, imparted from him and walked out. All right. Next, he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Are you going to take, don't take your shoes off. Just show the bottom. <laughs> there we go. I want you to see the bottom of these. They have cleats. You thought cleats were made up by Nike. Nike. But they had cleats on these things in, in, uh, in Roman days. So that, guess what? So when you're in mud, when you're in a slippery place, when you're in a difficult place, when you're in warfare and you're swinging a sword, there it is, then your feet dig into the ground and you cannot be moved. Remember when David said, I cannot, I will not be moved. See, so here's the, the I like to call them the gospel sandals. The gospel sandals. So strong foot gear is important in a battle situation. If we wear flip flops on our feet instead of army issue boots, we're gonna slip in the struggle and leave ourselves exposed to the enemy because if he's got a sword and you're on the ground, you are totally vulnerable for attack. But remember, the whole goal of the armor is having done all stand. So that's the gospel sandals. Notice that the gospel shoes are also an offensive weapon. They enable uh, us to run with and share the gospel of peace. Truth and good news are a weapon in that they give us sure footing against darkness, deceit, and despair. You ought to always have on the gospel sandals. You know what that means? Ready to share the gospel. Ready. Can you say with me, ever ready? ever ready? Ever ready. Ever ready to share that gospel. Ever ready. Um, Scott we're kind of rubbing off on me his restaurant and talking to waitresses and witnessing to them and the other morning I was with a pastor at Cracker Barrel where all good things are cooked and the atmosphere is wonderful and I can't take Kathy into Cracker Barrel without her buying something in that huge store I'll turn around where'd you go I'll call her I'm in the store order for me okay what do you want she comes in about 20 minutes later with a big bag full of stuff. But here's the deal. I, I, we were at the table, and the, this waitress came up, and she's limping. She's just limping. I could tell she's grimacing. So we gave her the order, and I said to her, what's the matter? And She said, oh, i got to go home. My back is so bad. It's so bad. My back is killing me. And, and it's only getting worse, and i got to go home and get in bed and just lay there, or I'll never make it to work the rest of the week, and then I can't pay my bills. And I said, it hit me, ever ready. Ever ready. Ever ready. So I said, well, can we pray with you? She said, well, I'm not supposed to do that. And I said, well, just act like we're not doing it. <laughs> I said, just, just be staring at the table or something. She said, okay. So she gave me her hand. And me and this pastor, we, we've got to pray for her healing. Now my voice, it gets me in trouble. It <laughs> travels. So I, I, I uh, looked up and I see several people at the table. They were just eating and talking. All of a sudden, It's frozen right here, and they're watching us pray for this lady. And, you know, when I was done, tear down her face. She said, thank you so much. She said, I haven't had anybody pray for me in a long time. Ever ready. That's the gospel sandals. Ever ready. I like that. Notice what it says about people that have the gospel sandals on. Read this out loud with me. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, God reigns. How beautiful are those feet. Then next we have the shield of faith. Look at verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish How many of the flaming arrows? All the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, as he's getting the shield ready, look at me right now. What is a flaming arrow? Let me tell you what it is 99% of the time it's a thought. It's a thought. The enemy aims thoughts at us. And you know what they're on fire with? They're on fire with doubt, they're on fire with fear, they're on fire with worry. They're on fire with lust. They're on fire with hatred. They're on fire. He calls them fiery darts. And how are they extinguished? By the shield of faith. Now he has on this this cover. And and looking at this cover, it, it's leather. Let me show you what I I looked up myself. Uh, often before battle, soldiers would soak their leather shields in the local creeks. This made them much heavier but at the same time made them impervious to the flaming arrows shot by the enemy because uh, they would shoot arrows that were on fire. And, and they wanted it, those arrows to hit wooden shields and stick in those shields and catch them on fire and burn, of course, the soldier. But when this is wet and it's wrapping around that shield, that arrow hits it, it's, it's wet, it's extinguished, and it falls to the ground harmless. Amen. Now that's what the shield of faith, does. When you're holding up that shield of faith, if you hold up God's faith, Bible faith, the real faith in Christ, in God, in the blood, in the word, in the name, then when that fiery thought hits you, you're driving down the highway, comes out of nowhere. It hits you worry. Oh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What if I lose my job? What if that lump that I found What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? By the time you get to work where you're supposed to be a testimony, you go dragging in there. There's no joy on you, no peace. Why? Because the enemy went after your joy before you could face people because he doesn't want you smiling, shining, testifying of anything. He wants you weighted down. But when we have that shield of faith, and as soon as that thought hits me, I hold up the faith of the uh, in, in God, in Christ, in His Word. And as soon as I hold up that shield of faith, it deflects. And I say, you know what? I trust God with that lump, or I trust God with my job, and He is my provider, and He is my healer, and He is my keeper, and He is my peace, and He is my strength, and He is my joy, and He is my glory, and He is my... And And, and when you do that... The devil can't get at you, but you got to hold it up. The shield of faith. A shield is both defensive, hide, where you hide behind it, as well as an offensive weapon, because you can charge the enemy holding it up, and it enables you to block his sword while you run your sword through him. So it's defensive and it's offensive. Sometimes we have devastating circumstances that come upon us. Don't we? Like a flaming arrow, and they threaten to consume us, our family, our position in life. And what I do, I deal with people's tragedies and difficulties all the time. All the time. And I've seen that Christians get it, Christians come under trouble. Christians get knocked sideways by things. Christians get unexpected news. Christians sometimes have difficulties pile on top of them one after another like a band of robbers. And I've seen that the only thing that can speak to it is the word of God, the love of God, and the name of Jesus. Sometimes I have to say I don't understand. I wish I did, but I don't. I wish I could give you some magic silver bullet answer but I don't always have one. I've told you about my file. I have a very special file in my brain. It's marked things I don't understand. It's pretty thick. It gets thicker all the time. And it's in the drawer marked trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. And you know what that is? That's a shield of faith. I don't have to understand. I can still trust him. And that fiery arrow, I watch it deflect all the time off of people who hold up that shield. We can react with fear and terror, or we can put up the shield of faith and start to trust God when all hell breaks loose. And sometimes it does. Your faith helps you to stand in the intense battles taking place in the battlefield of your mind. Trust God no matter what is going on because he knows what he's doing and believe it or not, he's in charge. Put up the shield of faith. Don't let it hang useless at your side. And then lastly, we have one more. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet. There we go. Now the helmet obviously protects the head. We wear helmets all the time. Bicycle helmets, hard hats, football helmets, and so on. A couple of weeks ago, I took a tumble on my bike. It was terrible. Most ungraceful thing, ungracious thing, and people were watching. I just poom and fell. But you know what? I fell onto cement, and the first thing that happened was I had on my helmet, and it went kaboom on that cement. One thing I got to have is my brain. And... That helmet protected my brain because I didn't know that fall was coming. I didn't know, but it came unexpectedly all of a sudden. And was I glad I had that helmet on? Same thing with this one. Now, what's the helmet of salvation? It is the, uh, the assurance that you are saved. Everybody in here that knows you're born again and saved, raise your hand if you know it. You got a know so faith, don't you? It's not hope so, maybe so, perhaps so, G, I think so. It's no-so. John said that you may know that you have eternal life. So that salvation, that helmet uh, protects me from constant doubts about my salvation. We've got to put on our confidence in his salvation each and every day and not let Satan slam us in the head with his lies, because if you let him, he will beat your brains out. If you let the devil, he will beat your brains out. He will beat your brains all day long each and every day till you get that helmet on that protects your thought life. Lack of assurance of our own salvation is devastating when we're in a spiritual battle for our lives. Oh, and there is one last one. Oh, my, how did I forget this? Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now watch it. You need to say to me, being of sound mind and body. No, I'm kidding. All right. Here's the sword of the Spirit. The sword also is both offensive and defensive. We can counter it when you're in a sword fight. The the sword protects you in a defensive way when you counter the blows of the other person's sword. But it's also that thrusting instrument, the sword, where you really put an end to the enemy. Isn't that what Jesus used in the wilderness? The sword of the spirit, he put an end to the the enemy. It says the, the devil left him until an opportune time. Our sword is God's word. When we study the Bible for its principles and truths, we can stand against Satan's lies. Folks, I've been in this since I was 16. When I was 18, I totally sold out. Being 40 tonight, I'm going to tell you. I'm I'm kidding. I'm just trying to be funny. I had a little humor. I've been in this thing a long time. Do you know that I read the Bible every morning, and every morning I see something that is a first for me, hits me in a way that I've never seen it before? I read this morning, I don't remember ever reading this, I read this morning that at Abraham's funeral, Isaac and Ishmael were there. I don't remember ever seeing that. I knew Isaac was there, but where did Ishmael come from? You read nothing about him until Abraham's funeral. Now, that may not blow your mind. I don't expect it to, but it kind of gave me a little Holy Ghost bump. <laughs> I've never seen that. What about that? So there you had the father of the Arabs and, and the, the, one of the patriarchs of the Jews mourning Dad. Never saw it. All the times I've read that, I never caught that. You could read the Bible for a million years and not ever take it all in. Okay? When Jesus was tempted, we talked about that. He stood his ground with the Word of God. So reading the Scripture often, studying it, committing it to memory, are all ways to sharpen the sword... So when we are attacked, you'll know how to respond. Now, he ends with this. I want you to read this with me because this is part of the armor. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, pray in the Spirit is Paul's transition from the military analogy to a crucial addendum. We could put it this way. Carry your walkie-talkie and call in when you get in trouble so he can direct his firepower where you need it. Don't just put on this armor and then go on, but stay in prayer. Say, Lord, here's what I need. This is what I need. That's what I need. This is coming against me. That's coming against me. There's this situation, that problem, this conflict, all these things. Lord, I'm asking you to intervene. And then God just homes in on it and sends in his firepower. So as E.T. As e. said, phone home. Phone home. Okay? That's what prayer is. So in closing, let's admit it, we're weak in ourselves. Can everybody admit that? We're weak in ourselves. We're weak against the forces of the enemy. But in God, these powerful weapons, read them with me, truth, righteousness, the good news, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer are more than we need to fend off an attack and remain standing at the end of the day. So read this. Let's stand and read this closing verse together, this summarization, summary of what we just did. Ready? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand and having done all, to stand. And give him a thanks for this. uh, There we go. (laughs) Val. Thank you, Val. Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus. You need help getting down? Oh, if you fell, I would feel bad. All right, he's good. Let's lift our arms to the Lord, our hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us without recourse in the midst of battle. Lord, though we're in a world of battle and the battlefield is in our mind and there may be all of these various demonic forces, yet, Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Lord, Tonight, we thank you for this armor. Help us to put it on. Help us to walk in it. Help us to remember to do it. Help us, Lord, to recognize when we're not dealing with a person, but we're dealing with a force that is using a person and and to battle that force and not that person. Help us to access the spiritual weaponry, the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, and I pray for everyone here tonight that's in a battle Lord that Lord you will grace them with this truth that Lord even tomorrow when they awaken to to face the day there will be a a new understanding, a fresh zeal, a new strength a, a clear vision and that you will strengthen us for the victory I want you to give the Lord any battle you're in right now as we get ready to close. Say, Lord, I give you this battle. It's a person. It's a place. It's a thing. It's a habit. It's visible. It's invisible. It's coming at you. You know it is, and you know you're in battle. I want you to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to defeat this thing by what I just heard. In the mighty name of Jesus.